fourth chapter of Galatians tonight. I don't think we're going to go verse by verse in Galatians. We've touched on a number of different statements, a number of different passages as we've looked at the overall, well, and specific uh, considerations in weeks past. But we are going to read the first nine verses there, kind of narrow it down to something that applies to us specifically. Uh, let's read Galatians 4, verses 1 through 9 to begin with tonight. Paul says there, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? And we'll pause there and return there in a second, but let's ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, as always, Lord, at least I trust always, we are grateful, Father, for this time that we have together and grateful for this word that you have given to us, Lord, fully and freely, Father, that we might enjoy it. I know, Lord, it is a difficulty for so many of your people to receive your word in natural safety, to to access your word to the measure that we can. Help us not to take it for granted, Father, but to be grateful and to take advantage of this privilege, Father, unto whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, we have been given so much, Father. And you do require from us, Lord, but you always provide, always give us every capability, Lord, for anything that you might ask. So help us, Father, to be grateful to be loving one to another and to you as we consider your word. We praise you tonight. Bless us, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, a new chapter this evening. Uh, To this point, we've spent a great deal of time considering the purpose of the law for its age and its time, the value of the law in and of itself, the insufficiency of the law to justify or to sanctify anybody in this age, in the old age certainly, but not anything for us to take up. Uh, I have talked to a number of different people and, and made the comment, wasn't expecting to spend this long in Galatians, but I've received a number of different comments here and there as to reasons why, well, at least encouragement and confirmation why we have spent such, uh, well, a longer time than I had expected. But that being said, I don't think we're going to spend more than just tonight in this fourth chapter here. Um, particularly just considering since we have spoken at length about the law and something that was pertinent specifically to an age past and is not, has, well, it has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus and is not applicable to us directly that we are to be called to be underneath this law, we might have asked ourselves a number of times during this study, what does this matter to me, this book of Galatians? I mean, certainly we need to be educated on it for those ones when we're, when we're called to give a defense for the reasons why we don't put ourselves under it or the hope and the peace that we have and why we would present, well, ourselves as, as being church-age believers, why we don't have this 
burden, why we don't have this. But as it is in and of itself, how does it apply to me directly? I don't have any compulsion to put myself under this yoke that is the law of Moses. I don't believe that anyone here has that compulsion, or at least not that I know of. No one's expressed that to me ever. Uh, Outside of a few passages here and there, how is Galatians pertinent to me? as a believer in this age? Is it pertinent to me in this age? And to that, of course, I'm going to answer yes. Yes, it is pertinent to you. Um, We just read there in verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather known by God, Paul asks those Galatians with, again, this incredulous speech. You can hear it. You don't even have to put an inflection on it. He makes it plain. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again, To be in bondage. And so we're going to consider tonight how those weak and beggarly elements apply to us. Specifically, what are weak and beggarly elements to us? Well, if we're not under the law or trying to put ourselves under. First thing we need to do is we need to consider what weak and beggarly elements comprise of. Uh, Well, I have some definitions for you. Here in the Greek, weak means strengthless. Uh, My, well, my uh, word word processing, is that even right? Term, my app that I do my word stuff on, writing on, didn't like that word strengthless, but that's how Strong's had it. And a number of other dictionaries have the same thing, strengthless. It means infirm, it means sickly. It doesn't just mean less strong or not as strong as I would. It means a lack of strength even. There's a sickliness to it oftentimes. Uh, That word beggarly means specifically, it derives from a word that means to cower or to crouch down or to get down low. And so if you think about what beggars do and why you would make that association, that's what it's pointing to. Uh, It means to be as one who crouches or is poverty-stricken as a result uh, of that. Most often in the New Testament we see it translated as poor, uh, without money or, or someone who is without But it's based, again, on that thought of having low stature, of being brought down, oftentimes because of one's financial status, their socioeconomic place uh, in their their community. Um, Even that word elements, when it talks about weak and beggarly elements, that word elements speaks to a lowness. It means an elementary, it means a basic, a fundamental the lowness of what the Galatians were putting themselves under, just the beginning of things, I mean, past things. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 7, um, elementary means basic, you know. Sherlock used to tell Watson all the time, elementary, my dear Watson, it's something basic. This is fundamental. This is something that doesn't, well, you don't have to sit and retell yourself. Uh, When your mouth is dry, it's an elementary thing. I think I'm going to turn down that call right now. Uh, it's an elementary thing to recognize that you're thirsty. It's an el- you don't have to consider it. You don't have to think about it. When you feel that compulsion to drink, you know that you need to do that. That's what it's speaking of. Uh, weak and beggarly elements. In Hebrews chapter 7, it's not the same term that's here, but it's the same kind of thought uh, where it says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, For the law made nothing perfect. That's not the passage that I was looking for. Uh, I actually don't have it in here. But where is it uh, where it speaks about leaving the elementary principles? The elementary principles such as salvation and baptism and all of those things. I believe it's in Hebrews 
Hebrews 6. Thank you, Anna. In Hebrews 6, I don't have it here, but it speaks about leaving behind those things and moving forward. Moving forward in, in progress, in, in leaving behind the elementary things as being just that, elementary. When you're in elementary school, it's the beginning. It's the beginning stuff. It's the teaching you the foundational stuff. And it's pushing past that and leaving behind what, what is behind. It's elementary. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. So as we look here, here in, um, well, here where it talks about these weak and beggarly elements, these elementary things. We see that, well, the law was that to the Galatians. But was the law weak in its own, well, in its own poorness? We said last week, no, it, it, it's provided by God. It wasn't that the issue was the law. The issue was people. And specifically, specifically, the flesh of the people. On one hand, there's the annulling of the former commandment, the law, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. So the word tells us that in Hebrews seven eighteen, the law made nothing perfect. And how come? Because of one thing, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. What the law could not do because its weakness was found in the flesh of mankind. It was a perfect provision written by a perfect God, and it was, well, to be implemented by an imperfect people. So the weakness was found through the flesh, which all mankind has. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so it was that dependence, that dependence for the finished work to come as this perfect thing plus this imperfect thing. It was dependent on this imperfect thing somehow doing something perfectly for the provision of righteousness, justification, sanctification to come. And we know that it didn't come. So that made the law weak in and of itself. Weak as it was bound to that flesh to provide something that no one could do other than the Lord Jesus. It relied on the compliance of the flesh. We know that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, we say, all the time. There was a fire some, I don't know, 15 years ago over by Uncle Rod's house, Rod and Kathy's house. It was a propane tank, and it was going like crazy. And once we put it out, the guy came out to take off, haul off this big, huge propane tank. And he was hoisting it with this chain, and the chain broke. And so he's like, well, what do I do? So he took the chain, put two links together, and just took a screwdriver and just shoved it in there, just like that. I'm like, that's not, that's not going to go well. And so he started hoisting it, and of course, that, whatever that pot metal, that screwdriver was made out of, it failed very quickly. And bing, broke, and propane tank fell down, a burned propane tank, smashed on the ground, we're all diving for cover and all that. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and a screwdriver is no good link. Flesh is much like the screwdriver. If it's dependent on that, if it's dependent on my flesh, if it's dependent on your flesh, it's going to fail. We understand this. Matthew 26. If it's reliant on the compliance of the flesh to do good, it's going to fail. Watch and pray, the Lord Jesus said, lest you enter into temptation. How come? The Spirit indeed is willing. And we do have a new man. We do have a new creation. We do have that Spirit within us. But man, the flesh is weak. There's no getting around it. It simply is what it is. And anything that leans into or supports or encourages or supplies or empowers or boosts up that flesh, anything that ties into that flesh for it to be good or to do good or to satisfy anything, anything that encourages this flesh that is my old creation and the makeup of it, anything that supports that, it is weak and it's beggarly. 
It's low. And it's, well, not good for anything. Anything that leans into that, encourages that flesh, is a weak and a beggarly element in and of itself. Something that's poor and robs of riches, as a matter of fact. That's why God had to supply more than the law for us. He had to bring something else other than just that perfect law in and of itself. Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength or weak, weak because we were walking in the flesh, we were comprised solely of that old creation, that's our term, weak, when we were still that, defined by that in due time, in the right time, in the appropriate time, Christ died for the ungodly. If something is flesh-forward, flesh-focused in its motivation, flesh-encouraging, flesh-motivated, well, then it's for nothing. It's, it's something weak and beggarly, and it's going to fail. It must not be trusted for anything. Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul had some pretty strong feelings about the flesh. For we are, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have zero confidence in the flesh. The issue wasn't a flawed law. It was a flawed people. We understand this. We've said it at length, ad nauseum perhaps. The flaw was not in the law. The flaw was in the people, the flesh. Saints, we are not under the law, but we can certainly try to put ourselves under a yoke of bondage to weak and beggarly things that have, well, nothing necessarily attached to by name the law. It's anything where, where, where we're trying to satisfy our flesh. Anything where we're trying to encourage the old creation. Whatever is not of faith is what? It's sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So if it's outside of faith, not even under the umbrella of, of satisfaction and peace that we find, generally speaking, in a life lived for, uh, toward Christ. If it's something outside of faith, pointing us in a different direction then it is a weak and it's a beggarly thing. Something that's encouraging what discourages our new man. And so, yeah, we can put ourselves under that. When we give place or focus to anything that displaces the Lord or tries to step in front of Him or between us and Him, even to the smallest measure, the smallest measure, then it's a flaw. It's a flaw of the flesh. Man, say that five times fast. That rolled out better than I expected. It's a flaw of the flesh, and and the flesh is weak, and it's poor, and it's beggarly. Uh, At the very least, those weights that would beset us that maybe aren't necessarily sin of themselves, at the very least, they're low, they're base. And when we focus on those things that are separate from God or halting us from God, it's immature at best. At best, it's immaturity. So, Paul points to some of these things here. Uh, as far as back in our, in our text, what he was identifying to those ones in Galatia, among other things, we see in verse 10, what they were tied up in in this legalism that they were dealing with. He says here, just in part, I believe, you observe days and months and seasons and years. So they were recognizing probably feasts and the gatherings and all of those things that were not even just put into the law of Moses as it was specifically provided there, but over the time, over the course of the generations, lots and lots of things were added, uh, developed by word of mouth. Different rabbis here and there would install this tradition or that tradition. And, and pretty soon it was all collected as all part and parcel of that 
religion. So I'm not sure exactly what it was that they were all dealing with. But Paul had some criticisms here. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and you're putting special focus on these things, special emphasis on these things, perhaps drawing some measure of enhanced feeling, enhanced righteousness and all these things on these seasons, on these days, on these years, on these different occasions. I get emails all the time, emails and, and, you know, I see articles and some I read, some I don't. Most of them I don't have any interest in. But, you know, pastors are a pretty uh, opinionated bunch. And oftentimes you'll, you'll hear ones just venting just how, well, how disappointed they are. And these are quote-unquote Protestant pastors that will vent how disappointed they are in other so-called Protestant pastors who don't stick to a liturgical calendar, who don't identify that we need to stop and we need to read certain passages and present certain lessons and present certain thoughts during the Lent season, during the Advent season, during Easter, during all of these different situations so that we can maintain that feeling of holiness and maintain that sense of propriety and quiet honor. All these different words are bandied bandied about so frequently and, 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 well, kind of arrogantly and kind of obnoxiously if you get right down to it. They feel like, well, we're not observing these things and, and at accepted time and season it needs to be directed into that. You know, I just kind of would prefer trusting the Holy Spirit to lead what we're supposed to consider for the time, right? I'd rather just let the Holy Spirit guide us to what we need in the moment. We have a Christmas program, certainly. I have no, nothing wrong with identifying and recognizing the, you know, the season that overall there's an understanding and there's an identification of a certain thing. And oftentimes, I mean, I'll, I'll preach an Easter lesson, if you will. But to sit and follow a certain canon and have a dialed-up reading that we must have and a dialed-up set of statements and all of that sort of thing, does that sound like observing days and months and seasons and years to you? It does to me. And Paul's chastising these ones for this. He says, you aren't acting in a manner where the Spirit leads us, where the Spirit guides you, where you're guided by grace rather than by law, rather than by this yoke of bondage that you're putting yourself in. You're observing days and months and seasons, and you're doing so religiously. I'm not a religious person. I've been accused of being that. You probably have too. Oh, I see you you don't cuss, and you don't drink, and you don't do this and that. You're religious, aren't you? Well... Sometimes for just lack of explaining, sometimes you say, well, my faith is important to me, that I believe in God and, and I walk with God or something like that, but I don't ever say, yes, I am a religious person. I'm not a religious person. I'm a child of God, uh, saved by grace. I mean, that's what, that's what it is. We don't follow these things religiously. Paul criticized them. How come? Because it was sin. Wait a sec. These were God's people and they were trying to do well, and they were trying to... No, it was sin. Look what Paul says there in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 5. He says, you ran well. That's past tense, what he was saying. They had a testimony of faithfulness for a time. He says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? What is not of faith? Sin. Being, obeying the truth, not obeying the truth is not of faith, right? That's acting outside of faith. Here's the truth. This is what I want you to do. Or, as the case may be, this is what I don't want you to do. And by simply doing what he doesn't want us to do, that's not obeying the truth. So what is that? It's sin. It's not of faith. 
So what they were doing, no matter how good it might have looked, no matter how justified their intentions might have seemed, and no matter how pious it might have felt, it was sinful. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And he gets quite pointed here. A little leaven. What does leaven stand for throughout all of Scripture? Sin. A little leaven leavens the entire thing. If you are led by the Spirit, he goes on in verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. These ones weren't being led by the Spirit. They were walking by their own feeling, walking by their own persuasion. Walking by something that they'd been led astray in. They were weak and beggarly elements. When God says something, then to do different, whatever the situation might be, it's rebellion, it's rejection, it's sin. It just is what it is. That's not just mean fire and brimstone preacher talk. That's just trying. practicality is what it is. And if the Lord tells us, this is what I have for you, or this is what I that no, this is no good for you, then it behooves us to not sin. And it behooves us just to simply obey, uh, follow after him, walk with him, whether we understand it or not. We might not hold ourselves to a Passover. We might not hold ourselves to a weekly Sabbath. I trust that you don't. I hope that you don't. We might not look at these things as sanctifying events in our lives and that sort of thing. But we can oppose the Lord just as surely by doing whatever we do outside of faith, by not obeying him in whatever the case might be. Those are weak and beggarly elements when we step outside of what he has for us to do. Uh, Putting it simply for us, us who aren't putting ourselves under the yoke of the law of Moses, sin and rebellion in any form, on any level, those are weak and beggarly elements for us, ourselves to put undue focus on something that the Lord wouldn't have us to focus on. To take our flesh and put it forward and seek its purposes and its motivation instead of the new man's motivation. That's a weak and beggarly element. Why do we do such things when we know this to be so? Well, Galatians 4 verse 3 God has delivered us, we understand. Why, why would we do such things? Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That's past tense. We were in bondage. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a man, or I'm sorry, born of a woman, born under the law, getting ahead of myself there, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He made a provision for us. He, he opened up the door to us, Knock, knock, knock. When we opened up, then there's fellowship. There it was. Adoption as sons. We're heirs of God. We understand. As a result, Romans 8 and verse 1. Lots of scripture for you tonight. As a result of this provision, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm no longer under that bondage, no longer under that yoke. And so what foolishness it would be. Just as foolish as those Galatians to say, well, you know what, the, well, those certain days, you know, we should, I, we should keep the Sabbath. You know, we really should do that. that was, those were good back and then not do any work on that and, and just focus on things because, well, what worked then? No, no. Wrong, wrong purpose, wrong, wrong basic motivation, wrong, wrong intention, wrong satisfaction of God's things. It's wrong all over the place. And it's foolish to sit when God has said, no, for us to say, yeah, let's try it. Same thing. There is no condemnation for us. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Why would I put myself under the beggarly, weak things that Satan would come and present to me as though it was that a forbidden fruit to Eve and well, to Adam, ultimately, we understand. It's foolishness. I, man, I've signed up for foolishness before. I'm not criticizing you or anyone else who has done that. I'm just presenting what it is. It's foolishness to step outside of that. We understand that. So what might this look like to us, these weak and beggarly elements, these, these things that would draw our hearts away? Well, <clears throat> we don't have any interest in the law of Moses, but we can still satisfy the flesh with false spirituality, right? Those things that make us feel spiritual, make us feel like we're doing something more. It might not be keeping the Sabbath, but it might be something that makes me look as though I'm something and my motivation isn't quite right. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul warns against this, we know. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, we need to understand in me that is in my flesh, there dwells how many good things? This many. (laughs) No good thing. If anyone thinks himself to be something, himself meaning this in and of myself, Well, he deceives himself, and and it's not so. But we know that we are indeed heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, certainly. It's focusing on that flesh forwardness, right? Look at this capability I have. Look at this standing that I have. Look at this position that I have. Look at this respect that I have. Look at this knowledge that I have, etc., etc. No, we must not do so, and I think that you understand this. For I say through the grace given to me, Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 3, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I remember telling Brother David when I was, I don't know, late teens, early 20s, I told him, Brother David, whenever I leave this church, I never feel good about myself. I never feel good. Whenever you get done speaking, I never feel good about myself. But man, I sure feel good about the Lord. I'm grateful for what He's willing to do. There was certainly, it's, well, John said it best, didn't he? He must increase and I must decrease. Man, it is, it, it's a, indirectly proportional, right? With the decrease of one, the increase of the other goes up. Man, may we be beggarly. We should be beggarly, cowering before the Almighty God. As Judah prayed just a moment ago, though he calls us to approach boldly. (laughs) Boldly. Uh, As he increases and we decrease, he sees to it that we are increased as well. But I digress. I digress. Uh, We find ourselves rather digging into the false spirituality that that some of these Galatians were evidently dug into, unfortunately. We can do the same thing, and we shouldn't. It's as simple as that. Now, it might be bondage that we would put ourselves under by coasting, coasting spiritually, or settling spiritually. Hebrews 11, I won't turn there for time's sake, but Moses was saluted, you might say, for putting aside the pleasures of sin for a season. Those are real things. You know, there is this measure of pleasure with sin. I'm not going to get crass or lewd or any of those things. It doesn't have to be that to have pleasure in sin. Let's be honest with you. Man, your eyes get tired reading this. Am I right? Your eyes can get tired. I, I get headaches from time to time reading this and sitting in front of a computer. And sometimes it feels good to go boop and sit back and just close your eyes for a second when I'm not supposed to. When I still have work yet to be done. And if the Lord has called me to do the work, well then... To put that aside, 
And I say, well, it's good enough, or ah, that's coasting and that's settling. And that is the pleasure of sin for a season when I'm sitting here. And I mean, it's not, it's not legality when the Lord says, I have a job for you to do, and I need you to do this right now for this to be so. And if I say, mm, give yourself grace, Greggy. Show yourself grace. Have you heard people say that? It's a common term these days. Yeah, I need to show myself grace. No, no, you know, honestly, I don't. Because when I show myself grace, what I'm doing is I'm taking my flesh and advancing it and pushing it forward. The Lord shows me grace. The Lord shows me grace. And by His grace, He enables me to do what He calls me to do. And so I can open up my eyes, deal with a headache or whatever is needed for the moment. He doesn't... He doesn't snap the whip on me or anything of that sort. He doesn't on you either. He calls you to what he has for you. And there's no reason for us to coast or settle for less than what he calls us to. If you're not moving forward, you're standing still sometimes, we say. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's that passage that I was trying to quote to you earlier, and I didn't pull it off, so I do have it printed right here. It's not our specific term for elementary, but again, the thought is the same. Where it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the basic and fundamental principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, those things that our young people learn downstairs. Not belittling the young people, I'm just saying that's where... When you're young in your faith, that's where you, what you have established for yourself. And they do. It's elementary stuff. It's not just sin that besets us, but it's weights. It's the yokes and the care or the yoke of the cares of this world that we put ourselves underneath sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of coasting spiritually or just standing still and not walking forward. That's not what we're called to do. That's a weak and a beggarly element. And of course, we understand a third example of what it might be is just outright sin. Outright chosen uh, debauchery, sure, if you, if you want to call it that, or if it takes you that direction. Just out and out right sin. This is not what God has for me, and I don't care. And yes, we are more than capable of doing that as God's children also. Putting ourselves, putting oneself under a yoke, that Christ died to loosen from you, to take off of you, is very similar to these ones putting a yoke back on themselves. The Lord loosed them from, fulfilled it. Things that we know better than to yield to, we understand. Yes, we can, uh, we can return ourselves to bondage under weak and beggarly elements very simply. Those are just three examples there. And it does cost us. Uh, if we look back in our passage here in the 11th verse, one example before I dismiss and, and or close and get us out of here tonight. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I'm sorry, you turn to Acts chapter 3. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul told them, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. This was his worry. This was his concern. Listen, you know, I presented this to you and you did run well. Uh, but there's no growth here. It's, it's stagnant. You have put yourself back under a yoke that the Lord had taken up off of you. And there's no promise and assurance for Him to strengthen you for that yoke because it's not the yoke for you. So it's essentially bolted into the floor, you might say. And it's awfully difficult to advance in things spiritually when you put yourself under a yoke that He doesn't call for you to get under. 
He was afraid that they that he was laboring for them in vain. And so if we see in Acts chapter 3, I like this example here, and this is what comes to mind when I read that passage and read this consideration of being yoked again. Acts chapter 3 and verse 2. This is well early in the in the time of the church. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. To ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. You understand this is that story that the song is based on. Peter and John went to pray. They met a man on the way, etc., etc. The man was looking for a blessing, a natural blessing. Alms. Alms just means provision for the poverty stricken. Do you have something for me? Food, money, whatever the case might be. He was looking for, it's kind of an uh, insulting term, but a handout. That's what, that's what he was given uh, as his lot. Uh, he was blessed, only blessed greater than he expected in verse 6. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking it's good stuff. Walking, leaping, and praising God. He gave him much better than the alms. And I do like what it says in verse 11 there. Uh, after he walks and leaps and praises, it says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. Now obviously if he was walking and leaping and praising God, it was a miraculous provision that was given there that... This man who had not walked and left him before, now he was walking and leaping, but he found himself holding on to Peter and John. So either he was really tired or he was just uh, ready to hug where that provision came from and understood what was going on and the blessing that was there. What I do notice that he didn't do, however, was he didn't pick up his cup and his crutch and sit back down on the mat that he was sitting on, or whatever the case may be, back at that gate, and said, thanks, Peter and John, and went back and said, alms, <laughs> alms. It doesn't say that he did that. He didn't put himself back in the position and the situation that he was in before. He was delivered from it, miraculously delivered, given an opportunity to walk and leap and praise God, and he clung to those ones who were the conduit and the, the, well, the means by which, the vessel by which the Lord worked for them. Why would we put ourselves back on the mat? Why would we, or any of God's people who have been delivered miraculously, given a capability to run a course with joy, run a race that He has enabled us for to finish, why would we stop? I know I've told the story before, but I was mile 25 of a marathon one time. I came around the corner and the finish line was right there at the end. There's a guy sitting over there on a little lawn chair with a cooler with a bunch of beers sitting on a nice big pile of ice and it said, free beer if you stop now, if you quit now. And there was someone sitting next to him. <laughs> I was like, man, you have made it this far, man. And it was just such a picture, you know, such a picture of to the very end, man, to the very end. Something is there, some icy cold beverage trying to draw us aside. And people would give up the freedom that they have in the Lord when they're so close, <laughs> so close to finishing that race. Galatians 4, back in our text, we'll start wrapping this up here. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. 
Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And you've been given a victory over apathy and sin and sluggishness and all of these things. He's overcome those things for you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. We just sang that a moment ago with one of our opening songs, Romans 6.14. For you're not under the law, the law of sin, of condemnation, of all of those things. You're not under these things, but under grace. You've been given a miraculous strengthening to your legs. And you can walk and leap and praise God. Don't put a yoke on you to keep you from doing so. Yes, saints, Galatians has much to tell us. Us who don't believe and don't have any interest in keeping the Sabbath as it was kept under the law. Who don't have any interest in keeping our hair cut and that sort of thing. But we need not be under the law of Moses to return to weak and beggarly elements. And we try to do such things quite often in our lives. We don't need to observe days to be hindered like these ones were. We simply need to begin the race and stumble and slow down and hold up and stop and put ourselves under a yoke that isn't ours to bear. Let's not do so. I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Paul said in 5.16. You ran well. Keep running well. Keep running well. Don't yoke yourself up, child of God. 